My name is Priya and welcome to Stutter Conversation, the podcast. This is a safe space where we will talk all things stutter and communication. In today's episode, I'm joined by my very special guest. Today, I'm joined by the founder of Stutterology, which is a, a digital content platform which educates the world about stuttering through a neurodiverse and trauma-informed lens, empowering people with speech differences by addressing the systemic issues. They are also the co-chair of the Board for Space, a new non-profit for online arts and programming for young people who stutter. Welcome, Ezra. Hi, thank you for, for that. Um, I'm so happy that you're here and you are such a huge inspiration to me. Um, and I'm so excited to learn more about you and your story and stuttering journey. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I usually start with a few icebreaker questions just to learn a bit more about you. Um, I guess they're a bit deep. I don't know. <laughs> you can interpret that your own way. <laughs> um, the first question is, if you were on a, a d- d- deserted island, what are three things that you would take? I would take... Um, man, I have the urge to say my cats, but I wouldn't want to. I'd want them to be able to like live a more comfortable life. I wouldn't want to like drag them with me there. Um so <laughs> I think I would take but uh I would say books, but I guess that's multiple items, so I'd have to pick one. So I'd have to think about which book I'd pick, but I'd pick a book. Um and then um obviously my mind's like completely blank right now <laughs> because I'm assuming there's no or no technology, so I can't yep. take any electronics with me. Yeah. Um, I would take some matches. Okay. So that I wouldn't have to figure out how to light a fire on my own. I'd That's probably, cool. like, I probably wouldn't last very long, to be totally honest mm-hmm. with you. Uh, <laughs> so maybe I'd, I'd take... Um, there's a, <laughs> it's going to sound psychotic. I would take this one podcaster that I listened to with me. Okay. I think he could survive. Yeah. And so, and I don't think he'd mind like being on a des- deserted island. Maybe not with me, but like, it's fine. I don't care. It's just, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to take someone yeah. who can probably keep me alive. Yeah. So I think those are the, I bring a book, matches, and then the podcaster um, behind the podcast that I listen to. <laughs> That's pretty smart. I'm not going to lie. I haven't heard the, the podcast one before, but <laughs> I think that's pretty unique. <laughs> oh, okay, that's good. I'm like, well, this person was like a – yeah, like if they were a Boy Scout for like 10 years, then yeah. I'm sure like, you know. Yeah, keep they'd us be alive. very prepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so – what is your favorite day of the week and why? Favorite day of the week. I'm going to just be cliche and say it's Saturdays. Um, yeah. Because it's I, I have Saturday and s- Sunday off. And 
Sunday ends up, you know, you have a lot to do for the upcoming week. And so I let myself really chill on Saturday. And it's usually if I have like social plans, the day that would fall on. So yeah, that's good. So keep yourself busy on that day. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And if you could have any person dead or alive at a dinner party, who would you have? Any person dead or alive. It's funny. I listened to your podcast. I should have been like expecting these questions. <laughs> random um, questions. <laughs> I would pick my great grandma who passed mm-hmm. away when I was um, like 18, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty old because she was 95. <laughs> Um, and I'd want to hear more about her life yeah. or, or my other great grandma on my, my other side who died in the sixties. Cause yeah. I'm really into genealogy. And so I would love to just like know more and hear what their life was like and like what was living through like the 1920s, 1930s in, in America. Yeah. Like I know it was hard and I just would be interested in and I have like unanswered questions like they don't appear on like the 1930 census and I'm like where are you guys <laughs> uh okay so let's dive a bit into your start into your story and your stuttering journey um so I guess the first question would be when did you notice your first wait sorry I don't know why I'm flipping words today when did you first notice your stutter the first time and I, I knew about it because I know I was in speech therapy. So I, I must have, I definitely already knew about the stutter. But the first time I actually remember noticing it was when I was in a play in third grade. And the um, they cut my lines out. Um, I started with three lines and they cut me down to about half a line. And they had asked me if I was sure I'd wanted to be in the play um, and I knew that my stutter was why. Um, I think in hindsight, they probably saw a kid who was struggling a lot and they thought they were helping by trying to like decrease the struggle, but it just made me m- struggle more because I felt like I couldn't stutter, right? Like that's what I thought they didn't want. And I just, I just couldn't say it without pretty intensive stuttering. And so they cut my lines down to half a line. And I remember how um, awful that felt. So that's the first, like, I know I stuttered for years at that point, but that's the first time I remember it. Yeah. And it would have been really hard to kind of realize that that's why it would have happened. Um, Yeah. That's really terrible. (laughs) Sorry, it was a horrible (laughs) story. But yeah, but like, no, no, no. you know, your first memory of something is going to be probably big in one way or the other. So yeah, exactly. I think it's also that that's when you kind of realize because when, when you're a child, you, you don't really notice that you stutter. Um, and so yeah, the first experience is like, whoa, okay, there is something there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And I know that Stuttering is heredity or hereditary, and it runs in the family. Um, does it run in, in in your family? 
So if you had asked me five years ago, my answer would have been no. However, uh, about five years ago, my grandma, who was really involved in my whole stuttering journey from the very start, she's like the one who paid for for speech therapy when it was out of pocket and stuff. Um, We were at a, a, a brunch for her birthday like her like 70th something birthday. And she goes, and I'm telling her about the uh, National Stuttering Association conference that I had just come back from. She's like, so, you know, like, instead of trying to like change your stutter, you guys just accept it. And I said, yes. She said, oh, I I guess it doesn't hurt anyone. And I was like, right, grandma. And then she goes, you know, when I was a kid, I had a stutter. And my mom completely freaked out because my entire childhood, my mom was asking, like my mom had to contact my dad. They were divorced from before that. And um, he, there was no family history on his side. And then she was begging my grandma, do you know of anyone on, on either parent's side, anyone? My grandma always, always said, no, there is no family history of stuttering at all. My entire childhood. And then five years ago, she drops it. Actually, she stuttered as a kid. So... Apparently it is in my family, but uh, uh, it's wild to think that if she hadn't said that, we would have never known. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh my God. It's, it, I think it's also that must she's, have been... She's a piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to have to find out that way and to like, I think for so long you just didn't know. That's pretty wild. And I think it's also probably what would have been contributing was years of that um knowing that that or thinking that that, that, that stuttering was bad um because of obviously you growing up in that society where it was seen as bad and that also would have contributed to it as well which is really interesting yeah i mean it really says a lot about the differences and like the generations and stuff because yeah, I mean, I wonder if she had blocked it out so much that she didn't even like consider it a stutter until I said, you know, that I I'm fine with the stutter, and then finally, you know, it became a little bit more safe in in her mind. Um, and she's like, "Oh, I I did too." And I was like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about?" Um, and she actually she speaks very slowly, and she's very intentional with how she talks to this mm-hmm. day. And uh, my mom has wondered if that's all, like if if she, my grandma still has a, a, a stutter this whole time and mm. has controlled it and no one would know. But um, yeah, I don't, we don't have any reason to think that besides like, my, you know, and my mom's the one that, that has picked up on that, which I think mm. is interesting, given that yeah. my mom's not a stutterer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could also say that your grandmother took inspiration from you and saw how, um, accepting you were of your stutter and she's learned to be like oh it's actually okay yeah it was an interesting moment for sure <laughs> <laughs> it's huge bombshell <laughs> <laughs> um so I know you mentioned that you had therapy before but I would love to know more about um that sort of side and how long you were there for and if you found it helpful um if you're still um doing speech therapy Sure. Um, no, I haven't. So I haven't done speech therapy since my early 20s. Um, I was in speech therapy starting at about four years old. Um, 
I couldn't pronounce my R's as a kid. And so that was a big reason why I was in speech therapy. Although I had always thought I started to stutter at the age of six because my mom said it started when I was in first grade. But I found um, notes from a speech therapy clinic because my mom held on to everything from when I was four. And they tested me for stuttering. And I had like 20% disfluencies in conversations. Um, So I did have something. And then my mom is, I asked my mom about this and she doesn't remember at all. Like she is like, I don't remember you stuttering at four. I don't remember it starting until first grade. And one of the things I do hear a lot with people who stutter is they start and then it goes away and then it comes back. So maybe something like that happened. But either way, I was in speech therapy that whole time. So from four, and then I did it until I graduated high school. Um, it was like on and off and it was with different people, different times. I would be dish, you know, I would go in and they would rate my stuttering at like 80% disfluencies. And then they would discharge me two years later saying I was down to 15% disfluencies. Um, and then I would come back in a year later at 80% disfluencies again. So it was a cycle. Um, and then in high school, we had, I went to a public high school. Uh, I'd been to a private school previously, so we had to go separately. And then in high school, I had an SLP at the school. That particular SLP in my high school didn't know anything about stuttering. She didn't care. Um, it was a pretty blah experience. And when I was done with high school, I wrote in my journal, and I, ha- I, I had it until re- recently, but I wrote, I'm not going to ever go back to speech therapy because I'm tired of disappointing everyone, um, which is really depressing and really sad. And I think I carried a lot of anger because some of the speech therapists I had as kids, I had a variety. Some knew about stuttering and some really didn't know as much. And this is the 90s when I was a kid in um, San Diego, California, in in the U.S. And um, they weren't all bad. Like there were some that from what I understand, they were good and they were knowledgeable. I was given information about like the National Stuttering Association and, and what programs they had. I didn't go to any of those, but I did, they did give us that information. Um, so I had like some good, some bad, um, some very focused on being fluent. I think I, a lot of times didn't really understand what the goals were, even when they were said, um, because they would, they would tell me like at some point, you know, they told me you're probably going to continue to to, to stutter. It's not just going to go away, even though, but I still held on to it because they would always say it might, you know, it might. And so I was like, well, I'm going to hold on to that. And so I didn't really know what I was doing in there. Um, cause I didn't really like most of the techniques. I didn't like easy onset or those things and that that's what we had to practice all the time um and when I but so by the time I got to high school I was very over it and I didn't think they could help me at all and I I was very tired of this concept of like you would go in at a high disfluency rate and then two years later it was way down and at that point I was like well of course it is like I stutter less when I'm more comfortable and I've been with the same person now for two years obvious like that doesn't mean anything that doesn't have any impact on the real world at all and so by the time I was in high school I was pretty fed up with this misunderstanding but I didn't think there was anything I could do so I just kind of checked out emotionally I went because my mom my mom really wanted me to go 
when I was in high school, I had told her I didn't want to go anymore. And she said, I want you to be able to have like IEP information, which is what it's through the school. Because if you ever need to prove you have a disability so that people don't discriminate against you, I want you to be able to pull this out. Um, And so in high school, that was why I stayed in it was just to have like proof that I had a stutter as, you know, an 18 year old. Um, But then after I found the National Stuttering Association, which I didn't find until the end of college um, and kind of after I graduated, I started to get involved. I spoke to some graduate students who were studying speech therapy and I realized how hostile I was to them. And I was like, you know, I might have some work I need to do emotionally about this. Um, And I ended up going to a speech therapist through my insurance at that point. And she was really great. Like she was a really good, so this, this would have been in like 2015, 2016. um, And she really explain things in a way that I think I hadn't understood before. And, you know, when she explained like these techniques, like easy onset, you know, she explained, these are things for you to like pull out in moments where you're really stuck. Or like, if you want to do like a a phone call that you need this and this is like, these are tools for that. This isn't something you need to do every single time so that you never stutter ever again. And I was shocked which was interesting because it means that I thought that like the purpose of those things was to use them so often that you would never stutter ever again. And since I also knew that wasn't possible, I just thought it was dumb. <laughs> and no one really ever asked me, you know, like, do you like doing these techniques? Like, how do you think you sound? Like, how is this affecting you? What's the difference between when you use these and when you stutter? Or like, is it even practical? Like, do you use these out in the real world do you want to um and she really did that and so after our first session she's like okay we're gonna like go over these just so you know but we're not gonna waste time on that like we're gonna we're gonna be focused more on what you want which is like to help with your avoidance and your fears and and that and so as an adult I had a much better experience I only went to her for about six months and then she um had a baby so I stopped and I realized like, yeah, actually it can, speech therapy can be really good um, when I think it's very, you know, like I've heard people call it now client led, um, which is language I appreciate because that's how I felt like she approached it. It was very like, you know, like I have the, no, I, I have these different knowledges. I have these different directions. Here they are, which ones interest you. Um, and I found that really, really helpful, but I haven't been since then. So that was like 2015 probably. And now it's 2023. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's been a little bit. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was, it was like an all over the place experience growing up. So, yeah, that's really crazy. And I think also what would contribute to it was, was the kind of the, the lack of, um, I guess in in the way that they tell you what the aim of therapy is for each, um, each, I don't know what I'm trying to say, (laughs) but each sort of session as well. Because I know when I was in speech therapy, um, what she would say was, um, I think think that's what, what they also told you as well, was that the aim of this is just to give you, um, a toolbox of, of, strategies to help you get through school to help you get through tougher situations um but yeah and I I think it's really interesting the kind of 
changes that you went through with speech therapy and understanding what it's about, but also the kind of lack of understanding that the speech therapists had as well during then, um, which is really interesting to think about. I think we always think that because speech therapists, everyone's like, oh, you went to speech therapy, so you had a stutter, but it's not also in that sort of way, um, which is also really wild to think yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. It is really wild because I think when most people think about speech therapy, they think about stuttering. Mm. But like, I don't know how it how it works in other other countries, but in the U.S., there's really not any um, requirement in the education process to become a. So you need a master's degree, which is a, a lot of school. It's like mm. six years of, of of college with undergrad and, and masters combined, um, and. Yet there's really no requirements for learning about stuttering. Some colleges have a fluency course, but not all of them do. For some, they just learn about fluency in like one chapter of of a book, and that's it. And like that's all they ever know. And then they get somebody who stutters, and it's different from a lot of other like speech things that are more technical, and they, they don't know what to do, and it's them because they're not prepared and there used to be in the u.s there used to be requirements that speech therapists like practice hours they had to get different practice hours with different groups yeah um and then they removed that requirement for like just made it like a more general you need this many practice hours they didn't Mm. be like with this group with this different so somebody could in theory become an slp have years of experience and have never learned really anything or interacted yeah. with somebody who's the daughters, which is pretty mind blowing. I think yeah. from when most people learn that. Yeah. That's really crazy. <laughs> wow. So, it's so weird that they like remove. And I think the idea, like they've removed it because you can't always find every group for everything, you know, yeah. it, it would have become a, a challenge. But I just feel like the education program, if they were going to remove it from the practice hours, they needed to add something to those education requirements, and they didn't. It's also considering that, like, stuttering is common, and also it does affect a large population, but also that everyone's, like, conceptions of stuttering, sorry, of speech therapy is that it helps people who stutter, but that's not also what they learn, which is, I yeah, I've never thought about it at all like that. It's really strange. <laughs> I do, I do think that as far as, like, like, fluency goes like they should have like that should just be a straight up like yeah like at least sit in for a couple hours on you know seeing what somebody who stutters is saying and what they're thinking and what's going on with them and that's not nearly enough right but like something anything (laughs) honestly just talk to one person that's it (laughs) like that's all (laughs) right like let's just let's just give you the like that should be the minimum yeah bare minimum honestly (laughs) (laughs) um okay so talk a little bit about your schooling um so what was it like going to school and your your schooling life with a stutter yeah, so I went to a private Catholic K through eight. Um, I didn't do preschool. I was actually the only person in my kindergarten who did not do preschool. So all the other kids knew each other. Each other. 
um, which didn't stop me. I was a very outgoing kid. I had a really hard time making friends, though, in school. Um, but I did, like, exceedingly well with school. Like, that was a real, like, I was, I had very strong, like, reading, comprehension, math. I was usually, like, a grade ahead. But they wouldn't push me forward because it was a tuition-based school. And if they pushed you forward, parents wouldn't have to pay a year of tuition. So they, you know, kept me at where I was at. Um, I'm not resentful at all, obviously. (laughs) Um, And I, I definitely... I definitely think there were benefits to being in a private school with a stutter because by the time I really was stuttering, everyone already knew me. And so this wasn't like, like I didn't have to go in each year, like having to re-explain to everyone. Right. Or like my mom didn't have to go in really and re-explain. She'd meet with the teacher every year, but like my classmates knew that I stuttered and they also knew that I would tell on them because I was a tattletale and so I didn't get bullied, which was nice. Like, that's that's not always a common story with kids. Um, and no one really cared. I, I would argue my teachers came closer to bullying me than any of the kids ever did that I remember. Um, and I do have, like, letters to kind of, like, explain that to them. Like, I do think that the teachers were harsher because they would write things like, well, the kids right now don't care about their this person's stutter, but one day they might. So I make sure I skip them if it's taking too long, which is like mad, like that's madness that teachers would do stuff like that to me. I get that there's a lot of kids. I get that they don't have all the time in the world, but like, it's. I just think that's an inexcusable thing, which sucks. And I I had some really good teachers too. I don't want to like discount teachers. I think there's a couple that are unfortunate, but there are some really great ones too. Um, but I was like really unpopular in school, but I, I didn't, it didn't have anything to do with my stutter. I was just kind of a weird kid. Um, yeah. And uh, when I went to high school, I went from a school. So my entire K through eight was like 300 people in the whole school. So very small, like 30 kids a class. And then my high school which is four years of school, uh, had like a total of 3,600 people. So there were about like 900 kids in a class, uh, like per grade. And then, you know, so it was huge difference. Um, and it was a different experience with my stutter. I think I started to try to hide it more because I did, I was so afraid of people's reactions Um, But I had overall, like, really understanding teachers. And because I was in speech therapy, they all knew, they'd all know that I stuttered. My mom would talk to them at the start of the year on, like, a parent-teacher night. And so they were all pretty, and my my mom's thing when she met with all my teachers in school was she never went to tell them to, like, make excuses for, like, me not participating. She always went to tell them, like, so if they raise their hand, call on them still even if it takes a while for it to come out, like don't exclude them because you see a struggle or you see a stutter. If they want to participate, please let them. So that was actually why my mom went to the teachers, which is um, something I think she, she helped. She, she was doing on her own. And also I think some of the speech therapists I had as kids helped her find that language, which is amazing. Um, And really, I think, 
really cha- like really gave a, a solid um, backing. But I was really afraid. I, I was didn't raise my hand in class until I had a teacher in my sophomore year of high school. So my second year that had a stutter himself and he was very patient, a really, really good, wonderful human and helped me like, and when I say patient, I don't mean let me stutter patient. I mean, he wanted me to participate more in class with my stutter and it was going to be okay because he also had one. And so he'd make sure it was okay and that nobody would make fun of me. And if they did, he'd throw them out. Um, But so his patience was like in helping me kind of move forward and and raise my hand and do these things I was afraid to do. Um, But it was, it was, and so that was great. And I'm so glad I had that. I think it was life changing, but I also had a lot of, most of the time it was just really hard and I, I was afraid to do it. I would whisper the answer sometimes in class growing up and then the person next to me would raise their hand because they'd heard me and they'd get the answer right and I would never do anything because I was like well at least at least somebody got to get the credit for that um and so people didn't really know who I was and if they did they usually knew me as like the girl in their class that's stuttered I remember somebody telling me that 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 was somebody's like perspective of me um and that sucks because when you're in school, I think, especially when you're at a school that size, you just kind of, when you're a teenager, you just kind of want to blend in. Because usually if you stand out, it's not a good thing, right? Like standing out means kids are going to pick on you or it means something's wrong with you. And so I didn't want to stand out. And every time I talked, something about me was going to stand out. And so I thought, you know, maybe if I just don't talk as much, then I can just kind of fly under the the radar and the teachers are going to be understanding so I can probably get away with it um which I regret doing now as an adult but I also totally get it like it's hard like I feel like especially when you're raised as a girl like you have all of these pressures telling you like ways you should be ways you should look ways you should dress ways you should act you should be quieter you should be smaller and smaller and smaller and then you also have this thing about you that like stands out and it's scary because that's like not what you want at that age. And um, all those things really add up to making you want to be, now you want to be small and you also want to be quiet and all of these things. And it, it can really do a number I think on people. I don't think it has to. Uh, I definitely think that like most I think I, I I probably would have been in a pretty good position to just kind of stutter more openly. And I don't think most kids would have cared. And I do think my teachers would have thrown them out of the classrooms because that did happen once in high school. Somebody laughed when I talked and my teacher kicked him out of the class for the day, which maybe is not the best way to handle it. But I did appreciate that in school. Um, I had probably a more positive experience in those years than most people who stutter because I think I really had like my mom kind of advocating for me on one end and I did have really good friends that I would, I did have a place to be able to talk. Um, but I definitely let a lot of opportunities go by because I thought, well, I can't do that. And I would think that because I would, I knew I would stutter if I did that thing. And so I thought that no one would want to hear me if I did like that. No one would want to pick me. No one, like, 
I wanted to do speech and debate in high school. We had a really, really good speech and debate team. But I thought, well, I would ne- I'd ne- I'll never win a debate because everybody will see me as insecure. And so I wouldn't, I never took that class. And I wish I had, because now I know that like, if I had, you know, been, uh, if I had been able to like disclose, which was too scary for me back then, I think, but if I had been able to, I think people would have been able to focus more on the actual argument I was making as opposed, and I was good at that. because so I ended up doing that kind of stuff like my senior year of high school, not the class, but in one of my other classes, we would like share our political opinions and try to persuade other kids in the class, which is a weird thing for 18 year olds to do. But I would, I did that and I made, I was the one and I don't, I shouldn't share what my political beliefs were back then, but they were not what they are now. And I was like the one of the only kids in the class with those beliefs. And when I would talk, the kids would move. Like we had a day where we would like physically like move back and forth, depending if somebody could persuade you or not. And when I would talk, people would move more towards my side because I was persuasive, even though I was stuttering. Um, And I, I wish I had realized that was possible earlier. But then, and I didn't like learn from that because by the time I went to college, I still was thinking a lot of the same stuff that, oh, I can't do journalism. I can't do communication. I can't do, um, what was the other thing? Like it's political science. So I got my degree in accounting, which is the opposite of all of those things in a lot of ways, uh, because I thought, well, this is something I can do, um, which, yeah, is really sad and I, I I think the school system also failed me um because looking like I, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 30 um and that now informs a lot of kind of what I experienced growing up with some of the like I checked out emotionally at school a lot because I hated the busy work and I hated pointless things and that's what a lot of schooling is at least in the U.S. you get a lot you get like hours and hours of homework and I didn't need it. Like, I didn't need to do that kind of stuff. I didn't want to. And so I didn't. So then I would get really bad grades in school. And I was always told that I was underperforming and I had so much potential. And so I really checked out in school with the combination of all of those things. Because there wasn't really a place where I felt like I could thrive and do well there. X, X outside of my math classes, which is actually a place that I did well in. And part of why I ended up going down an accounting route is I'm like, well, I'm at least, at least I can be good with numbers at the end of the day. So even though it wasn't what I liked at all. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's pretty crazy how similar that our experiences with schooling are, because I think even for me, um, I was pretty, I guess you could say lucky that I was never bullied at school and I think when I talked to other people they had quite extreme um situations um and yeah especially with teachers I think that yeah the teachers were more harsh than the kids were and like you I had really amazing friends that were able to create a really safe environment for me to speak in and I would sometimes be like hey can can you go up and ask her or can um you talk for the team because I really don't want to do it um and I think that's what made the difference well yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like that that that's what's also makes your schooling experience that slightly more I guess 
tolerable as well because you have such a um amazing group of people that are able to help you um and do that even though probably avoiding is definitely not what's recommended but you know it it, it got you, you through the the hard situations which are yeah and I and I also the thing is you're at school for like so many hours of the day so many hours of the week and you want to be able to go to school and feel safe because you're there for practically you know a lot of the time <laughs> um so when you have teachers yeah. that are yeah picking on you or saying you can't do so and so because you don't do this um it just kind of pushes you down and like you I think I also would have wanted to do debating and do all that but I'm like yeah I stutter they're not going to take me seriously or I'm just going to slow everyone down because you know debating is so fast you're going to be like this and then this and so with a stutter you just feel like you have to be so slow or um it's taking up too much time um especially I think in debating you have like time limits as well um and so that's also really terrifying so yeah I mean I I yeah yeah I have a feeling in classes sorry I have a feeling in classes for that you could get an accommodation for the time limit but yeah as far as like debate competitions go like how would that go would that be allowed I don't or would that be seen as unfair I think that would be harder to have to like navigate um I do think there would be a really interesting power though in like somebody who stutters going up there and like yeah you're like everything's fast boom 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 and then you throw in someone who stutters that forces everything to slow down yeah that actually might make like that has the potential to make something more oh everyone's gonna pay attention and even though that's terrifying when you're in high school that's yeah. amazing when you're in like a speech and debate situation, right? Because now everybody, if you have a good message, people are listening now because you just threw them off from what everyone else was doing and you're forcing them to slow down. So in high, like in high school, it, it has the potential, but there is the potential of being misunderstood. Yeah. There's the potential of like judges who are often parents and this random people who yeah. don't know anything yeah. about stuttering and having to like really make sure that people are educated like in yeah, yeah. it would be a it would be a, a hassle uh but i i do think it actually i've never thought about that but i think it has the potential to kind of go either way and yeah. i wanted to also mention your friend your friend comment because yeah there's like a part of me that kind of feels bad because i would ask my friends can you do this for me yeah like, oh, why you do it i'd be like yeah i stutter and they'd be like okay fine you know, like they're not gonna yes. argue with oh me. My God. <laughs> they're like, I'm just scared. Um, but and so, but still, there's like this combination of like, no, I never shared the deepest parts of starting with my friends, but they knew that it was hard for me to communicate, and they knew that I stuttered, and they didn't see those as the same thing, right? Like they saw those as two different things. They knew I was afraid in these situations, and they knew that I stuttered when I talked, which they didn't care about. But them knowing those things is like, like you were saying, like it helps create a safe space for you because you meet some people who stutter and nobody knew it. They didn't tell it. They carried it completely alone. Nobody knew. None of their friends knew. And I can't imagine that because like you said, like I just would have felt so alone. Um, And you feel, I think, alone enough sometimes in those situations 
And even though your friends might not understand everything, just the fact that you can go to them and and get help in the way that maybe at that point in time you need, um, even if maybe it's not the best in an ideal world, but we don't live in an ideal world. And teenagers, you feel so many, and as an adult too, you feel so many insecurities that like, yeah. it's nice to have some help sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, I think for my friends, even though they may not have seen me stutter, that they were still able to accommodate the things that I was kind of asking them. So yeah, again, if I needed them to go up to the teacher and ask them or say what the answer was, even though they may not have fully understood it, they were still able to do it. And that just makes so much difference because it's, it's hard to have friends who one don't understand also a school that doesn't understand. And all of that would just make schooling life so much harder than it already is as well. Right. Yeah. So did your friends, like, did they know that you stuttered and you just didn't ever do it or did they not know? So, yeah, I had spoken to them beforehand because I used to miss every Wednesday morning to go to speech therapy. Um, So, yeah, they actually did know. And then I also started my page in year 10. So that's also when they, (laughs) I guess, everyone found out. But, um, (laughs) yeah, no, uh, a a lot of them did know. And I think even then my stutter can – people. whenever I tell people I stutter, they're like, what? I had – no idea you don't sound like it or whatever um so yeah I think for them even though they may not have heard it and I wasn't very open in my actual experiences I think just saying I had a startup was enough for them and then they were still able to yeah help me out yeah yeah. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode with Ezra from Stutterology. Make sure to tune in to part two of this conversation and also check out all of Ezra's links which are all down in the description of this episode. If you would also like to support this page, you can follow the Start a Conversation Instagram, Twitter, um, and there's also a link to my mailing list. So that's all in the description as well. And if also you could please leave a review on any podcast listening apps that you listen to, so it's a podcast podcast sorry spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts that would be great as well it really just boots how far this podcast can go and spreads more awareness as well see you all next time thanks everyone bye